Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson and I'm the editor of the BJGP. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Kimberly Foley, who is a research associate at the Department of Primary Care and Public Health, Imperial College London. And the paper is Impact of COVID-19 on Primary Care Contacts with Children and Young People Aged Not to 24 Years in England, Longitudinal Trend Study 2015 to 2020. Now, we know that the pandemic has resulted in a reorganisation of health systems, but little is known about the impact on children and young people. I started by asking Kim to tell us more about the aim of this study and how they went about investigating it. As you say, we didn't know about the impact of the pandemic on consultation patterns for children and young people, although they've been reported in general for um, primary care. So we wanted to look at the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic on total face-to-face as well as remote contacts with children and young people in England. And by remote, I mean things like telephone, video, or online. So we actually had over 47 million healthcare records from GP practices in England. um, And we looked at over 4 million children and young people from 2015 through to 2020 and looked at the patterns. And then we compared the actual lockdown period. Um, So the first lockdown in the UK um, from the end of March to early June and looked at the number of contacts during that period compared to the average number of contacts during the same weeks in the prior five years. And I think it's important to point out that we weren't, that the reason you did this is because there's scarce amount of research and data on what actually happened to children during the pandemic, even at this, uh, during the first lockdown in particular. Yes, exactly. Um, so we knew that, uh, as I said, we knew that the um, number of consultations in primary care had dropped. Um, we knew there was a large reduction in face-to-face appointments um, and telephone appointments had more than doubled across primary care overall. We also knew from data coming early in the pandemic that children and young people were less likely to become seriously unwell from a COVID-19 infection. And there had been some data from prior research looking at emergency department admissions and found that children under 15 had fewer emergency department admissions compared to previous years with little evidence of increased harm, but we didn't know what was happening in primary care for children and young people. Yeah, Um, and that's an important point is that, you know, there didn't seem to be a lot of harm, but we just don't know quite know what was going on in the primary care scenario. So um, I think probably the main thing to do now is, well, first of all, to highlight is that this was an incredible study in terms of numbers. As you say, there are over 47 million GP contacts and over 4 million children and young people included in this. Tell us a little bit about the results you found. Yes. Um, So we found actually that children and young people's contacts with GPs in England did drop. Um, So they dropped by 41%. Um, So this is the equivalent to 2.8 million contacts for children and young people in England. Um, However, there was a more than a twofold increase in uh, telephone and uh, video contacts. So in the remote contacts, which mitigated the total falls um, in contacts for children and young people. Um, we also, when we looked at some different groupings, we found that for different groupings of children, the patterns changed ever so slightly. So there were smaller drops for infants. Um, and for children age one to 14, we found there was um, a, a bit of a larger drop. However, it's important to note that as I'm sure the GP audience will know better than I will as a researcher, um, but children and young people primarily consult at that age from 1 to 14 for respiratory illnesses. And we know that with the lockdown, there were less circulating respiratory illnesses. So this may explain the reason why um, there was a, a bigger drop. If you look at the data in the paper, you'll actually see that the drops in face-to-face contacts were really quite consistent across age groups, 
although a smaller drop for infants, as I mentioned, um, but it was the difference in remote contacts that changed. Um, so there was a big increase in remote contacts for infants and for um, young people aged 15 to 24, um, and a lesser increase for children aged 1 to 14. Yeah, go on. I was going to say the other um, thing that I thought was really interesting in the paper is when we looked at the reasons why people were contacting their GPs, we also found some different patterns there. Um, so we could see that respiratory illnesses across all age groups, there was a massive drop in the contacts for respiratory illnesses. Face-to-face, -face, for example, fell by 97%, and overall, the drop was 74% for contacts for respiratory illnesses. However, contacts for common non-transmissible conditions that if not treated in primary care can lead to emergency department admissions, those had a much lesser drop. So overall, our drop was 41%. And for those um, primary care sensitive conditions, the drop was only 30%. Um, there was a big switch from face-to-face -to, -face to remote uh, to mitigate the total fall there. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to ask you about was those conditions, the primary care sensitive ones. And so that's things like urinary tract infections, appendicitis, diabetes, epilepsy. Um, the shift there wasn't as much. Exactly. So there was a, a not as big of a drop overall, and there was a very large shift um, from face to face to remote, um, which did mitigate those total falls. What particularly do you think are the strengths of this study? So I think the strengths of the study, um, as, as you mentioned at the beginning, the, the numbers. Um, so this is a large um, study from a large administrative database. So it's taken from GP records across England. Um, so we have a lot of data that um, is comparable to the uh, England population for children and young people. Yeah, I think it's really strong in that regard, no question. Um, we should talk about the limitations, of course. We always want to make sure that we highlight those, not because we're into, um, we just want to make sure that we understand exactly how the research fits in. What, what we've got to be more careful with here? I think one of the things that we really need to be cautious about is remembering that this was a descriptive study, um, that this was looking at um, the trends in what was happening in the pandemic, first lockdown, compared to prior years. Uh, but we really didn't we weren't set up to or designed um, to look at the reasons behind it. We have some insights when we look at the reasons why people were consulting um, to look at different patterns. And as I mentioned, we could see that people were consulting less for things like respiratory conditions, um, which may be as a result of less circulating illnesses, but we don't know the reasons behind all of these things. Yeah, that's right. We've got to be very careful, haven't we? Um, and the, 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 there was obviously such a you know, an all-encompassing public health message at the time to do stay at home or not to, you know, to protect the NHS and not to attend. And one particularly wonders with the respiratory, um, as well as the circulating factor, just the, the messaging around that, particularly that people may have been more likely to think they were COVID and not, or to, or they're at least, they were, they were more wary about attending their GP or contacting their GP. But we're, it's all speculation in that regard. We just don't quite know. Absolutely. Uh, and we do mention that in the paper as well, that there are a variety of reasons and certainly the messaging, I think, would have had a, a potentially a big impact. Um, people may have chosen to stay at home and ch change their healthcare seeking behavior um, or, you know, there could have been other reasons why. Well, we should mention the the, um, the the misinformation, if not disinformation, the about the availability of GP appointments and about general practice being open as well could have been a factor too. Of course, that was a bit that was playing in the media, uh, uh, certain maybe perhaps later in the pandemic, but to some extent in the first um, in the first wave as well. 
Absolutely. And that's one of the things that I think is really um, the wonderful messages that come out of this paper is that, to me, this is assurance that children continue to see their GPs safely during that first lockdown period. Um, that, you know, there was acute accessible care provided. Um, much of it was switched from face-to-face -to, -face to remote, uh, which does follow the guidance that was given um, and the recommendations that were made. Um, we had some conversations with parents of uh, and carers of children, um, of very young children. And we had some really interesting conversations with them about how they access their GPs during the lockdown period. And it supported the data that was coming out of this paper, that they were accessing their GPs remotely um, and that uh, they were having less access in terms of face-to-face -face appointments. Yeah, absolutely. Reassuring in that regard. Uh, what, what are the other implications, Kim? Where do we think we're going next with this? I think more research really is needed to look at the optimal combination between face-to-face -face and remote contacts. Um, so we know from previous research that uh, remote consultations have been reported to work really well for GPs at the start, but as consultation rates have increased, um, it's become a bit more challenging. I also think it'd be great to incorporate the perspectives of children and young people, as well as GPs, in terms of their experiences of doing remote consultations versus face-to-face -face and determining what the optimal um, combination is moving forward. Thank you, Kim. A really wonderful bit of research. It's been incredibly valuable um, and um, we're really pleased to have published it. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me today. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again.